Welcome to the Covert Narcissism Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Swanson. 10 days was the amount of time between me telling him I was filing for divorce and actually filing. The papers were all ready when I told him. I told him on Saturday and planned to file on that Monday. Had the appointment all set up. But he asked if I could give him one week. Why? He wanted time to think about it. I said, it won't make any difference. Nothing is going to change. And he said he just wanted time to let it soak in, that I had had time to think about it, but this was news to him. News? For two years now, I've been telling him I was done. For two years, nothing existed between us. This was certainly not a surprise to him. But I agreed to give him one week. I'm Renee Swanson, your host of the Covert Narcissism Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here. I cannot believe the growth of this podcast and the reach that it has. So thank you. This episode is part two. And if you missed last week's, please be sure and go back and listen to part one. So two days after telling him that I was filing for divorce, this is in that, you know, he wanted that extra week. He wanted to talk. Okay. He asked me to tell him again why I was so unhappy with him. And I said, no, I'm not going to try to explain it anymore. He said that he firmly believes if he could just understand what it is that he needs to do or not do, that he could fix this. Well, he kept pushing. And knowing that I should not, I gave in. Here we go again. So I tried yet again to explain it to him. I said to him, I strongly feel that you do not communicate with compassion. You do not recognize how much you hurt other people's feelings. When we try to express to you how much you've hurt us, you barely acknowledge it. You don't apologize for anything, and then you tell us everything is our fault. These are the same words that I've been saying to you for years. And what happened? You already know what happened. We loop right back into yet another one of those circular conversations from hell. He said, I see pain in you and and pain in the boys that somehow I've caused. And I thought, okay, good start. But he went on to explain that he has done nothing but try to make us feel safe and loved and that he can't help it if we don't feel loved. He went on to explain how compassionate of a person he is and that it's our fault that we just don't see it. So much for that good start. I said to him, look, I truly wish you could understand. I wish you could see it. We could have had such a beautiful marriage together. I told him that I'm emotionally exhausted and empty and that I just have reached a point that I can't try anymore. I don't have it left in me. Of course, that got used against me. Well, you're now you're not trying. Yeah, you're right. I'm not trying. That doesn't make me completely right. It doesn't make me completely wrong. It just made me exhausted. Well, he quickly shot at me. I think you've given up so much sooner than you think you did. With instant tears in my eyes, I said back to him, don't you dare say that. I've given everything into this marriage, everything I possibly know. Well, his immediate apology was, well, I'm sorry. I know I'm not, I'm not supposed to go there. In his pompous words, again, a circular conversation. I told him, you know, I've said this several times. We aren't even close. I think I've tried so hard to help our marriage and you don't think I've tried at all. And vice versa. You think you've tried so much to help our marriage and I don't see it. We simply are too far apart. 
I told him once again that he doesn't ever apologize, that he couldn't, and he couldn't believe that I felt this way. He said he thinks he's quick to apologize when he's wrong. And looking back now, maybe that's the problem. He thinks he's quick to apologize when he's wrong. He just never believes he's wrong. So maybe that's where the problem lies. He asked for an example, you know, and, and so I told him about once when, when I was talking to him about spending too much time on his games and electronics, and instead of apologizing or validating my feelings in any way, he snapped back at me and said, well, you lay on the couch and stretch. Really? How in the world do you respond to that? I wanted to tell him, like, if I spend as much time on the stretching as you do playing video games, boy, I sure would be one flexible person. Well, when I gave him this example, he said, I don't remember that. If that's what I said, then I'm sorry. That was a poor response, and it doesn't sound like me. So it's probably not the sort of thing I would say. Well, yet again, not an apology. No ownership. It's exactly the sort of thing he would say, and it's the same thing he'd said so many years, the same kind of thing. Well, I knew better than to get back into the loop with him this time. But what do we do? We jump back in anyways. I guess I decided I would give it one last effort. On a good note, though, unlike in the past, the circular conversations no longer churned my stomach up. They didn't send my head in a downward spiral. I walked away, ate a healthy dinner, and slept great. Well, that was new territory for me. It at least helped me understand that my healing was working. The night before I filed for divorce, he asked if we could talk. Ugh. Here we go again, round 3,784, whatever number it is. How many circular conversations had I lived through? Who knows? He started by telling me, you know, I don't want to interfere with your plans, that when you're ready to file, that you just should. I said, okay. Then he went on to tell me that he can't believe this is where our marriage was going to end. 20 years. He said, I can't believe that I'm only going to make it 20 years when my dad made it 23. What? He, he was sitting here telling me he can't believe that this means he's worse than his dad. He actually said this to me. I could not believe my ears. I responded to him and said, this isn't about your dad. This isn't a competition. And he said, oh, I know it's not. I'm not comparing. But if we had just made it 23 years and six months, then I could say I'm better than my dad. You're not comparing? What? The more I learn about covert narcissism, the more I realize that our entire marriage was about his dad. Well, that's a whole nother podcast. Maybe that'll come later. He said to me that he doesn't know how to have fun anymore and that maybe this is part of the problem. He said that his parents had given him money for Christmas with the instructions to spend it on doing something fun. Well, this was September, so he got that money back in Christmas. He said, yeah, I still carry the money in my wallet because I can't figure out how to spend it. So maybe the problem is I don't know how to have fun anymore. And he said, I'm realizing that I might actually be the problem here. My eyes are opening up to this. If you were on the only one telling me, then I could say it's you. But now the boys are telling me. So he said, I, I see that I blame things on everyone else. I see my reactions to things and, and realize that I haven't let go of the past as much as I thought. I thought I had you know, worked on my issues from childhood, but maybe I haven't. I'm reading this book and, and realizing a lot of the things that it says are the things you've been saying to me for years. He actually even said to me, I, I want to go to counseling. I want to get help. And I think that, you know, when I went to the counselor with you, it was like when I went with a teenager. I thought I already had everything fixed and I didn't need them. So I wasn't honest with them. But maybe, you know, after I get help, then maybe we can fix our issues. Wow. Not bad. Okay. These are good words. These are good things. But it was too late. I was done. 
And even with all that said, there still was no apology. Not once did he ever look me in the face and just simply say, I'm sorry. So yes, I had filed for divorce. I listened to my heart. I listened to my body. And when I went in to actually sign the divorce papers, I thought that I might be rather emotional. I really wasn't sure how I would react in that moment. As it turns out, I was not emotional at all. When the time came, you know, my hands were a little shaky. My heart was pounding. But I was overwhelmed with a feeling of peace, a sense of relief. I knew it was time. When he sat down at the table with me, you know, in this 10-day window, and, and we're sitting there, you know, and he's in that pensively deep in thought place. He holds this uncomfortable place of silence, clearly wanting to say something and kind of keeps you trapped there like a prisoner. And when he finally spoke up, he said, I've been trying to figure out how we got to where we are. He says that, you know, this three days after telling me that he recognizes the problems are in him, but now this is where he goes. You don't ever seem to think that I apologize. And I think that I'm quick to apologize. So I went to the library and I got a book about apologizing. I thought, well, where's this going? And he said, you know, apologies come in different shapes and sizes. And I believe I'm quick to apologize. So I think the problem is, you know, you don't accept my apologies. I think the piece that is missing is that you don't accept them. It was almost as though he believed now that if he just said, I'm sorry, it would clear everything up because he followed that with, so, so I want to say to you, I'm sorry. Do you accept my apology? I did look at him and say, hey, yes, I forgive you. I've forgiven you many times. And then I explained that this isn't going to change anything because it's far more complicated than all of this. And when I said a lot of this goes back to the issue of communication, he said, well, if that's the case, then we need to go back to the marriage counselor. No, because everything he had just said three days ago went right out the window. Everything he had said about, I really think that maybe I'm the problem, just got flipped around. Now it's all because I don't accept his apology or his way of apologizing. He didn't believe any of those words about his responsibility in all of this. He used to tell the boys a lot. I know you're just sitting there trying to figure out what to say just to get me to shut up. Well, this is what was going on. It was simple projection because it's exactly what he does. He's trying to figure out what to say to get me to, to shut up and not go through the divorce. Nothing comes from the heart. Nothing has any meaning. These conversations happen and then they just go ever so quickly right out the window. It can cause a lot of confusion. But when you get to this point in your healing, it actually brings a lot of clarity. This is the right direction. I'm done. Many of the conversations that came after filing for divorce were the most honest and productive conversations we had had in years. And I know people are out there experiencing this. They file for divorce, and then all of a sudden, you have an honest and open conversation with this person, which is what you wanted for 20 years. I know that twilight zone that that brings. As the attempts at fixing our marriage went away, things were just calmer now. He was far more cooperative and peaceful than I expected. He would still take shots, sure, making sure I knew this was all my fault, but I'd become extremely skillful at not reacting to that. He quit pushing on our younger son, and he started working out a plan for my son and me to actually stay in the house. He wanted us to keep the pets and have a place for our older son to stay when he came home from college. He was trying to balance the finances between us in a way that was fair. When I proposed an alimony amount, he actually offered to pay more. He was open to me asking questions. He wasn't making me feel stupid or uncomfortable. He seemed to really want what was best for me and our boys. 
Confusing? Not really. This was the man that I fell in love with. This is the man I married. I haven't seen him in years. It was refreshing to know that there was something there that was valid and promising. I didn't marry a monster. I married a person. Did I want to take him back? No. While it was refreshing to see all of this, it did not make me want to take him back. I couldn't. He was simply too painful to live with. Now he had a project, a mission to work on. You know, the mission was to make the divorce be peaceful. And he was good at projects. I didn't have any issues with that. But he simply was not capable of caring for the emotional needs of another person. I could never go back. When you decide that you are done, be done. They will try every approach they know to convince you to stay. Don't react. Remember all the frustrations, all the tears, all the harsh words, all the blame. A well-written speech does not erase all of that and fix them for the future. If you're having trouble holding your ground about leaving, start journaling. Write down the things that you can remember about how you've been treated, about how your kids have been treated. And anytime you start to question, go back and read your own words. This should erase any doubt you have. When you are done, be done. Anything short of this means you aren't really done. So my divorce, yeah, I went and filed. It was time. The rest of this podcast is something that I wrote two days after my divorce was final. These are my words back then. Our court date was two days ago, and it's over. This was a day that I thought would never actually get here. I've known for years it was coming. The verbal and emotional abuse were never going to stop. The psychological games were only getting worse. Leaving was my only option. As the day was approaching, I wondered how I would feel. Will I cry? Will I be happy? What will I say? What will it be like? How will it go? He moved out nine days before our court date. I was so relieved to have him gone. I spent a week cleaning my home like never before. The house is so much fresher. The air is cleaner. I've now been sleeping better, eating better, and am genuinely happier. But in the back of my mind, our court date was still looming. The day before court, everything hit me like a truck. I was at work in the middle of the afternoon. I'd been feeling great, and the divorce was not even on my mind. Out of nowhere, I was all of a sudden completely overwhelmed with stress and anxiety. My heart started racing, my hands started shaking, and I instantly started running a fever. It's the strangest thing I'd ever experienced. I actually thought to myself, so this is what it feels like to have a nervous breakdown. A million thoughts ran through my mind. Can I go through with this? Am I strong enough? What if I pass out? Is this actually going to kill me? As the day went on, my mind started replaying everything from the last 21 years of my life. I was powerless to stop it. I saw all the pain, all the abuse, all the good times, all the bad times, the abusive way he treated our kids, my helplessness and hopelessness. I truly thought I was having a complete breakdown. Sleep that night was not possible. My mind would not rest. By now, I knew that my body was collapsing from the stress. My neck burned with fever. My throat was killing me and my head was super foggy. I had to get this over with or it was going to kill me. Thankfully, our court time was early the next morning. My husband was there when I arrived. We instantly put on that front that we had been living for so long. The front we always showed the world that said we got along great. It was like we were old friends and had no problems. I knew this lie well, 
and simply could not live it any longer. As I stood in front of the judge, my heart pounded in my chest. I answered my attorney's questions, barely hearing them at all. It was quick, and then it was over. Within five minutes, we were divorced. Just like that. No fanfare, no strike of the gavel, no announcement. Just the signature of one man. And I was now free. Free to do what I wanted, free to be me. So I went home, to my home. Too exhausted to be happy, too sick to celebrate, too sad to breathe, too empty to find me. I simply went home. I was in the biggest fog of my life. I wondered if my head would ever work right again. Will my heart ever recover? I felt as, about as sick as I ever have. I simply had to give myself some genuine love and attention. I called a very dear friend of mine and I asked her to go to lunch with me. She knew everything that was going on, but we didn't talk about the divorce. We just talked about life. We sat outside in the beautiful sunshine and simply enjoyed our friendship. It was so refreshing. Over the next two days, I focused on my own healing. I enjoyed coffee with my girlfriends as much as peaceful bubble baths at night alone. I prayed and meditated throughout my day. I read daily inspirational passages. I chatted with old friends, watched old TV shows, and listened to old music. I did things that were good for my soul. My body, mind, and heart have responded so well to the extra love. The sickness is disappearing almost as quickly as it hit. Every day I seem to be waking up more clear-headed than the day before. Today, the day I wrote this, I wrote, today is the clearest my head has been in months, maybe years. I'm so eager to continue this journey now. This little taste of clearness has made me so hungry for it. I want to live the rest of my days focused on whatever is healthy and peaceful. I still have a long ways to go in the journey of healing, but I do feel that I'm off to a great start. I will take this in baby steps. I feel motivation returning and eagerness to enjoy life again. I now begin the journey of the rest of my life. Those were my words two days after divorce was final. I am so sorry for where you find yourself. This is not a path that you planned or ever imagined would come your way. It's not what you signed up for. It isn't what you wanted for yourself or your kids. But please continue to reach out for help. Find support. There are many support groups out there, and there are many people who've traveled this road ahead of you. There is life after narcissism. Take it one step at a time. Brighter days are ahead. No matter where you are in this process, I desire to walk the journey with you. We may all go through it differently, sure, but we all need support by our side. I had people I could lean on every step of the way. I feel blessed by that. I will be that support for anyone who needs a shoulder to lean on, an ear to listen, or a reassuring voice that you are not crazy. There is life after narcissism, and if I can do this, so can you. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing. You have been listening to the Covert Narcissism Podcast with your host, Renee Swanson. Be sure to check out our website at www.covertnarcissism.com. There you will find many resources just for you to help you on this journey. You can also reach out to me by email at Renee. R-E-N-E-E at CNGLifeCoaching.com. Those letters are C-N-G as in Covert Narcissism Group. I do look forward to hearing from you. I wish you so much peace on your journey of healing.